Hello, and welcome to the family at World Harvest Outreach. All right. I'm going to be completely transparent with you. With you. I have a lot to get to. So I'm going to move very quickly, and I don't think I'm going to end by 12. So if you get up and walk out, I wanted to say no offense, but I'm not like, I'm going to be offended. <laughs> no, I'm not going to be offended. Okay. Um, so to tell you how all this came about, um, this verse. I, I got an email from someone um, that was very concerned and disturbed about a verse in the Bible, um, and they wanted some explanation about it. Did anybody see my reading glasses? The problem with reading glasses is you need glasses to find your reading glasses, but if you're not wear, wearing your glasses, Jen, could you see if the... Um, so they were concerned about some verses in the Bible that um, didn't make sense and didn't necessarily align, thank you so much, um, with their understanding of who God is. And um, this was the verse. So brace yourself and prepared. It's in 1 Samuel, um, 1 Samuel 16, 14 through 16. Okay, 1 Samuel 16, 14 to 16. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord terrorized them. Saul, uh, Saul's servant, then said to him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God is terrorizing you. Does that rub you the wrong way a little bit? Does it bother you? Doesn't it bother you? I'm, everybody just totally gets it. It bothers you? Okay, good. I hope it bothers you. Um, let our Lord now command your servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is skillful player on the harp. And it shall come about when the evil spirit from God is on you that he shall play the harp with his hand and you will be well. So, okay, so who's the person playing the harp? David's the person playing the harp. Who's the person being terrorized? Saul. Okay, so there are, let me, let me step back. In this year, in this year, so this is actually the first time I've ever preached on like an email that somebody sent me. And I was like, well, instead of me writing you a whole email back, I'm just going to preach about it. They're not even here today, but you know what? Grab the video or I don't know, do something. But this is the first time I'm ever doing it. So I hope I do it well. Lord, please give me grace. But there are, this whole year, really, if you want to say it's about manifest, measure, multiply, right? But really it's about maturity, Right? Because what you do in order to gain maturity is you, um, you measure what you manifest. Right? You measure what you manifest. And then when the thing that you manifest is measured to the template of who Jesus is, then you multiply that. Okay? So this is not linear. Just manifest it, measure it, and multiply it. There should be a pause here where you measure again. So a lot, a lot of, of maturity is manifest measure, manifest measure, manifest measure, manifest measure, manifest measure, right? You ever see that? Immature people manifest or multiply based on their feelings and mature people manifest based on fruit. But not just any fruit, it's fruit that's measured. Okay, so the most mature people that I know spend the most amount of time where? In measure. Okay, they manifest something. They say, okay, let's spend some time in measurement. They measure it. They see the fruit of that thing. And then when it looks like Jesus, they multiply. So when you're seeing someone who is multiplying a lot, and you look at them, you're like, oh, they're multiplying a lot. Like, I guess they just multiply. You have no idea how much time they've spent in measurement. I guarantee you that they have spent more time in measurement than you have even spent in manifesting. The most mature people that show the most, like the best fruit, spend time with Jesus, measuring, I measure. I, so a fruit, is that's a nice way to measure. It's an incomplete way to measure because the complete way to measure is Jesus. 
So if you want to become mature, spend most of your time here. Spend most of your time here. Measure, measure, measure. Identify what, you know, you manifest something. And a good measurement is like, you manifest something and you say, where the heck did that come from? You ever do that in your life? Like you have like a little outburst? I've never had an outburst ever. Actually, you want to know something? We just came back from vacation. Don't be with a dad in an airport. They will manifest insanity. You should see I'm a tyrant with my kids. Like, take your shoes. Well, we have TSA pre Put all the stuff in your bag. Everybody here hates you. Like, like, I told my kids, like, by the nature of you being here, people don't like you because you're children. They want you out of the way. So I'm like, so, so I look, I manifest. I'm like, oh, that was horrible. <laughs> that was really bad. So I bring it back and I, I put it in the light of Jesus. And Jesus is like, um, let's talk about Let's talk about a few things. Let's talk about a few things. So what I want to do is I want to talk about three stories in the Bible that absolutely stink. And they're going to make you like, they make you question, like, do I even know who God is? Do I even know who God is? Oh, so the first one is going to be Saul. The second one is going to be Moses. And the third is going to be Uzzah. H. Chronicles spells it with an A. Samuel spells it with an H. Okay, so um, does that, anybody, um, uh, what was the messed up thing that happened with Moses? Okay, we're going to talk about that. What's the messed up thing that happened with Uzzah? God killed him. Why? Because he touched the ark. We're going to talk about those things. All right, and we're going to be like, oh, like, why? Why, God? Why? Now, I want to use these stories allegorically, Okay. So you, you could use them as a historical text, obviously, like, but I want to use it as a picture of how we should be applying these things in our lives, okay? And we're going to go through a lot of verses. But I'm, I'm telling you straight up, I'm coming from this from a perspective of a metaphor and how we should be looking for our life. So we're going to start with Saul. We're going to go back to Moses. I'm going to just sprinkle Moses in there, and then we're going to end with Uzzah. Is that water bottle available? Could you just chuck it over here? Let me see if I catch it. Just right there, right there in front of you. Oh, man, I wanted to catch a water bottle. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not a germaphobe. I would drink that, too. I don't care. Okay, so in order to start with Saul, we got to start in 1 Samuel 15. And I'm going to read fast. I'm going to skip and abbreviate some areas. Is that okay with you? I'm going to go back into reading. We're going to go into Exodus. we got a lot to do, okay? So bear with me. I know I'm a little frantic, but we got a lot to do. So, then Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you as king. Did God want Saul to be king in the first place? No, why not? It wasn't a Saul thing. It was a God and access thing, me to you, okay? This is what I want. But the people are like, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king. Everybody else around us has a king. So he said, all right, well, you know what? I'm going to give them what they want. Have you ever gotten what you asked for? Have you ever then realized, oh, <laughs> that was... And hint, that's like the answer to, to what happened with Saul. So I'm, we're going to talk about it in a second. Then Saul, Samuel said to Saul, the king sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek. Who's Amalek? Who's Amalek? So we're going to have to do some stuff. We're going to have to go back and look at some, some context here. I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek. And this is like the hard things that, that, that the Lord says. I'm bringing it to you allegorically as a metaphor. Okay. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. And do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Whoa. That is a very, very heavy command from the Lord, okay? I, I wish I could explain it. I wish I could explain it, but you have to go into the context, okay? You have to understand what the Lord is doing. And in order to do that, 
Unfortunately, the context of the story is in Exodus. So let's go to Exodus. All right? Are you with me so far? We're going to go back into Samuel, but be with me in Exodus. And if I'm going too fast, just raise your hand and be like, calm down. All right? But I won't. Okay. So, Exodus. The context of the story in for Saul um, and the commandment that God is giving to Saul right now about Amalek actually is within Exodus in the freeing of God's people. So the context of what God is telling Saul to do is carry out my freedom for my people. So it's going to be harsh. So you have to understand something, that freedom is not an easy thing. It's a hard thing. It's something that actually gets fought for. Like, check this out. You know, you celebrate July 4th, right? July 4th, 1776. We declared our independence. We're independent. Not to Britain. They were like, the heck you're independent. So you start declaring independence, you start declaring freedom, and there's like seven more years of war before you actually see the manifestation of the freedom that you declared. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you could declare all the freedom that you want here, but then you're going to have to fight for that freedom over here. All right? And it's going to take some, like, ten toes in the ground staring at some people and doing some things that you don't, may not want to do. Right? Okay. It actually may take a lot of sacrifice, and we're going to get to this verse, because I guarantee you, you've been told that verse, and it's actually, it's out of, out of context, okay? Out of context, or you're, you're, you're looking at it wrong. So, here we are. Exodus chapter 14, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make you go through, through these, but let's, we can look at Exodus 14. This is all the context of Saul. So what happens in Exodus 14? Well, that's the parting of the Red Sea. All right, so God frees his people from Egypt and the people are being chased and they get to the point of the Red Sea and there's like, there's nowhere to run. And Moses is like, what am I going to do with these people? And God said something really crazy. He's like, why are you crying out to me? I'm like, why am I crying out to you? You told me to come out here. And then God's like, yeah, just tell the waters to part and walk through the waters. I'm like, whoa. So basically, the overcoming of the obstacle was part of the calling for freedom. So, okay, so this is what happens. Hold on. I know I'm frantic, but I'm so excited. I'm just excited. Okay, look, you know you're going through something in your life, right? You're going through something in your life, and you're pursuing something that's really, really cool, and you come up on an obstacle. And a lot of times, what we do is we say, oh, that obstacle is a sign I shouldn't be doing this thing. So you turn around and you go back and you say, you know what? I was better off with my captor over there, so I turned back over there. This is what the people of Israel did. No, that obstacle that is there is actually part of the calling. The obstacle and overcoming the obstacle is building your strength and your character so that you can carry the thing that's on the other side. That makes sense? So you got to overcome this thing. You you can't turn around and not overcome that thing. That's part of the calling. So when you get to the sea, what you have to say is part, because it's part that, like telling the sea to part is actually part of your authority within that calling. You get to do that. And that's why God says, looking at Moses, is like, why are you talking to me? Talk to the sea. Talk to it. Tell it. Tell it what to do. And next thing you know, all Israel is like, boom, boom, two-stepping right through dry ground, right? Turn around, and Egypt is underwater because that was part of your calling. But you had to step through. You had to go through. Okay, so that's 14. Okay, 15. Okay, what happens in chapter 15? I'm going to need my asthma pump or something. Whew. Okay, God provides water in 15. Okay, now, I don't know if you've ever been in a desert, but there's not a lot of water in a desert. So people are walking around, and they're all cranky, and they're like, we need some water. You ever been with your kids, and they're like, I'm hungry? And you're like, oh, geez, like, we've been out 15 minutes. Everybody calm down. All right, so you come in. Thank you. Throw it over here. Oh, overhand? That's disrespectful. That's my daughter, everybody. Disrespectful. Right in charge. Okay, so. The people are grumbling for water. Moses comes about water. God says, hey, take that tree, throw it into the water, and guess what? It's going to become sweet, 
All right, so God made sweet tea right there. First sweet tea ever made. All right, just grab a tree, throw it in the water. All right, that's how God did it. So God starts providing water. Chapter 16. Oh, man, there's so much to do. God provides manna. God provides manna. Something to eat, okay? All right, so I don't want to talk about the grumblings of manna, but you know how manna worked. It came, right? It settled. The people came in and collected for the day, and then they went, and then on the Sabbath, um, on, the, uh, on the Friday, right, or, or the day before the Sabbath, they got a double, right? So they had enough to eat. So God provides manna. In the wilderness, he is providing sustenance, right? He's providing. So chapter 17, God provides water again. Okay. And this is where we're going to talk about Moses. So here's the sprinkling of Moses. I'm going to read this part. Chapter 7, uh, sorry. Um, what did I say? Chapter 17, thank you. So Moses cried out to the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord because like everybody was crying out to him. Like I think that's how Mark feels when everybody's complaining. And he's like, Jesus, help me with these people. Like, <laughs> you know, you are the problem. <laughs> like, There is a common denominator for all my problems, and it is me. I just I realize it. So, so Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do to this people? A little more and they will stone me. And then the Lord said to Moses, pass before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your staff with you, uh, which you struck the Nile and go. And behold, I will stand before you on the rock at Horeb and you shall, you shall do what? You shall strike the rock. Who told Moses to strike the rock? God tells Moses to strike the rock. Okay. And water will come out of it, and the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And guess what? Water starts flowing to the rock. He strikes the rock. Boom. Water starts flowing. Everybody's happy. Or maybe not everybody's happy, but everybody stops complaining. So now I'm happy. Or Moses is happy. Okay? So... Amalek. Remember we were talking about Amalek? I told you we're going to be everywhere, right? We're going to be everywhere. But here comes the, the, the context of Saul with Amalek is in the next verses. So, then Amalek came and fought Israel at Rephidim. Okay, so Moses said to Joshua, choose men over us and go fight against Amalek. And this is where I'm going to summarize the story. Do you remember in the Bible when, like, Moses, when Moses has his hands up like they're winning, and when Moses has his hands down, they're losing. That's Amalek, all right? That is the fight against Amalek. Now, the Amalekites, if you read the history, are the chief tormentors of the Israelites. I know you probably, Philistines and Canaanites and all these people, it's the Amalekites who are really the chief, like, antagonists when it comes. Like Egypt was a season, but the Amalekites, they just keep coming back. They're like a tormenting spirit just coming over. Like they just, okay, so this is what happened. God was like all thrilled. He, his people are out of the Red Sea. They're walking. He's providing, he's providing. They're going a different way. And all of a sudden Amalek is like, let's attack these people. Let's attack the Jews. We're going to attack the people of Israel. So they attack them and they fight a Rephidim. Uh, Rephidim. Is that how you pronounce that? Sorry if I... Sure. Okay, so Moses or Joshua defeats the Amalekites at that, uh, you know, in that battle. Right? They, you know what? Like they, they say, oh, you know what? Moses sit down and they prop his arms up. It's kind of cheating, but like they just held his arms up and they're like, as long as his arms are up, we winning. Okay. So what you have to know is that the Israelites were not even going in the same path as the Amalekites. They weren't even going in the same path. The Amalekites are like down over here. The Israelites go through, right? They go through the sea and they're going off that way to the promised land. And the Amalekites are like, we're, gonna, we're going to attack them. It's a lot of backstory. Now, look what God says at the end of verse uh, chapter 17. Then the Lord says to Moses, write this in a book as a memorial and recite it to Joshua that will, I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek, Amalek from under the heaven. Write this in a book. 
Have you ever had somebody in authority over you just being like, you may want to write this down? What do you do? You write it down. Have you ever had your boss be like, <laughs> write this down? Like, look at you square in the face and say, this one, you cannot, this one, no. Do, do not, like, I don't even know if he's like talking about the Bible right now. He's like, look, I have Moses put this in stone. You better write this down and you better not forget this. This is the promise of God. I am going to blot this thing out of the face of the earth. All right. And then Moses built an altar and named it. The Lord is my banner. And the Lord said, and the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Okay, now, going into allegory now. Like, I'm using this as allegory. I told you that in the first place. Have you ever been, have you ever been marching towards freedom and something attacked you out of, like, no context whatsoever? Like, you're going towards growth, and all of a sudden, this thing over here is like, boom, where did that thing come from? Not even your fault, not something you did, it just came out of nowhere, it's like, boom. And look, I'm a type of person that most of them, like, we have to take responsibility for our thing, but there are things that attack you while you're moving to freedom that just come up behind you, and they're like, nah, I'm going to stop this freedom thing from happening. And I guarantee you, the Lord has so much wrath against the thing that's preventing you from freedom that he's like, write this down. I am going to blot this thing out. I am going to blot it out. So there's things in your life that's attacking you and stopping you from getting freedom that Lord's like, man, this thing pisses me off. <laughs> Yeah, you, you know what? We try to argue, like, does God have any wrath and argue against wrath of God? You want to know something? I want him to have some wrath, especially against the things that are preventing me from experiencing the freedom that he has for me. Like, he's like, mm, yeah, I can't take that thing. That thing that's stopping you. That's what Amalek represents. Amalek represents the torture of God's people. And he's like, you know what? Everything I do, I'm going to blot that thing out. So that my people will experience freedom. Yes. And this is what Moses, this is what God was telling Moses. Like, no, I, I will take these things out. I will take these things out. So you think it's important for those things to be taken out? Yeah. Okay. Okay, let's go to numbers. We're going to deal with Moses real quick. Am I everywhere? Is this crazy? Are you following me? Okay, thank you. All right, numbers. Oh, Moses. Moses was, okay. Now, Numbers chapter 20. Guess who's complaining again? Who's complaining? What are they complaining for? Water, like they haven't seen water before. Like, whew, you ever complain about the same thing over and over? Lord says, take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock. What did the Lord tell them to do? Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it may, and it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock, and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod. Okay, so far so good. From before the Lord, just as he commanded, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? See, Moses' heart wasn't in the right place in the first place. Like, he was like, Listen to me, you rebels. Like, he was just like, Look at me, you pain in the... Like, listen, this is what's happening. And then what does Moses do? He strikes the rock. He strikes the rock. Okay, let's go to allegory. Back, back to allegory. Too many of us, and this is where we, the obey um, is better than sacrifice, but too many of us try to use old methods where God is trying to do new things. Old methods, new things. And God, to Moses, I'm, I'm, I think in, my, in, in his heart, God was like, man, I, I want Moses to bring these people into the promised land. But God didn't want a strike-the-rock person where a speak-to-the-rock person needed to be. 
And how many times do we apply strike the rock when speak to the rock needs to be the method? So God is looking at Moses right there, and, it, and guess what? That's a picture of the gospel. Strike the rock, first covenant, speak to the rock, second covenant. A picture, a shadow of exactly what God is trying to do. As the people go into the promised land, we get to speak to the rock, and out of it flows water. No, we don't have to do striking the rock anymore. We don't have to do that. God's always like, speak to the rock. Like, show your authority through speaking to the rock. You're going to move into the land of milk and honey because you, you're going to speak in the rock. You know why it's the land of milk and honey? I learned this the other day through studying. I like studying. You know why it's specifically milk and honey? Because milk and honey produce no death in its production. Wow. Bees don't die in the production of honey. Cows actually give birth and are able to give birth. Like, it's a production. Like, so you're going into the land of abundant life, milk and honey. I think that's so cool, right? God, God figures these things out. He's like, no, it's not a land of meat because you have to kill meat. It's a land of milk and honey. That's, man, that's good stuff. Man, right? He's so good. He's so good. All right. So are you striking the rock when you're supposed to be speaking to the rock? Probably. I don't know how many times I strike rocks when, it, when God's like, Speak to the rock. Speak to the rock. And because Moses decided that he's going to stay as a strike the rock person, and he didn't realize, oh, this is about the people, and this is about the Lord. It's not about me. So I should actually do the thing that the Lord is telling me to do and speak to the rock because more glory will come out of my obedience than, oh, the people are drinking. The people are drinking. Oh, the people are drinking. That's great. And, and you want to know something? People... People will drink based on my, like, based on my, based on my own, like, you know, charisma or my own, like, understanding. Like, I could strike rocks and give you water, and that's going to, I'm going to kind of have to continually doing that. Or I can go the Lord's way and speak to the rock and endless water flow, right? Like, the source be the Lord. The source be the Lord. Instead of, like, the source be being me, me trying to conjure stuff up. Am I making sense to you? Okay, so we got Moses out of the way. <clears throat> Here's your... That doesn't work. Here's your lesson for Moses. From Moses. Stop trying to use old methods to do new things. Listen to the heart of the Lord of where he wants to evolve you to. Stop striking rocks and start speaking to rocks. You're going to find, you'll find, you'll find better, better success. Let's go back to Samuel. First Samuel. We got to talk about Saul. Any questions so far? You with me? Are you with me? All right. So, <clears throat> let me summarize uh, uh, for, uh, chapter 15, 4 through um, 9. So basically what happens is Saul... Um, he goes into battle, and he tells the Canaanites, uh, which is an offshoot, and he says, Canaanites, just get out of here, because it's, it's not going to be good. And the Canaanites were not a, a group of people that were, like, really hostile towards um, Israel, but he, said, he gives them, he says, go. And he takes his army, and he slaughters all the people, all the Amalekites, except, who does he leave? He leaves the king, okay? He leaves the king, and he also leaves the choice Sheep, oxen, goats, right? So, and we'll get to it right here. He said, <clears throat> But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. And they were not willing to destroy him utterly, but everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed that. So, you know what? That's, not, that's cool, right? Everything that wasn't good... Everything that I can't use, I destroy, and I pretend like I'm listening to God. But everything that kind of looks good to me, like, I'm going to keep. Like, I'm going to keep that around. I like that. That makes me feel comfortable. Oh, you know what? That sin makes me feel kind of comfortable. It validates me. I like it. It's choice. It makes me feel good. You multiplying feelings? 
I know I multiply feelings all the time. So I'm not like alone. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying this is what we do. So this is what happens here. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret that I made Saul king. And this is in verse 10. For he has turned back he has turned back from following me has not carried out my commands and Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night and Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul and he was told Samuel and and it was told to Samuel saying Saul came to Carmel and behold he set up a monument for himself then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgag okay so who who set up a monument for himself think that was a good idea you set up a monument to, do, do you not hear like the, I know I said allegory, but the, do you not hear what we do so many times? We start setting up monuments to who? Ourselves. To ourselves. We start setting up monuments to that. Look what I did. Look who cool I am. Look what I accomplished. I set up a monument to, to myself. And God's like, you didn't do the thing that I told you to do. Why are you setting up a monument for yourself when you didn't accomplish the thing I told you to accomplish? And we come down with all arrogance and we're like, hey, everybody, look at this. And, 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 and people who hear the Lord are like, mm. and I'm not trying to make this like a, I'm not trying to be super like, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, I'm not trying to be accusatory, but this is just like what we do. But then somebody from, somebody who really spends time here can see that what's being multiplied here by somebody who didn't spend time here, that ain't it. That ain't it. I'm really not trying to be accusatory. This is just life, right? It's just life. And when, when it comes down to it, like if, if Saul would have spent more time here, he would have never got to the point of setting up a monument for himself. Okay, so let's go. I know, I'm sorry. I'm going to go past 12. I apologize, but Okay. Samuel came down to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. And I carried out the command of the Lord. Did he? No. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen would I hear? What is this sound that doesn't sound right in my ears? Man, could you imagine having somebody in your life that can like hear that? Like, I'm trying to you know, hide some sheep over here. Like, these are my choice sheep. No, I did everything. It's like, no, I hear them. I hear it. And it happens into our life. Like, we'll be talking, and somebody, mm, I hear, I hear what's behind there. I, I hear what's behind what you're saying. It kind of sounds good to somebody who hasn't spent time in the Lord, but I hear what's behind here. I hear it. I know it. Again, I'm not coming to an accusatory. It's this is just, you should have people in your life like this. I hope you have people in your life like this. Like, people would be like, yeah, nice BS you're giving me. Sorry, but that's nice. It's cute. But I hear what's behind there. You should have people in your life like this. And if you don't, then what you're probably doing is erecting a monument to yourself. That's, that's probably what's happening. Okay, so, I'm sorry. Okay. I just love like going through stories and finding these things that God is telling you. Like the, the, These things are, are applicable to your life. So, Saul says, he, might, he tries to make a knife. You ever try to make your sin look nice? Like, Well, Saul's like, yeah, well, the people thought it would be really, really good. The people thought, and I kind of agreed, you know, like, that God's command, it didn't really make a lot of sense. And I found a better way. You ever found a better way than God's way? You ever found a better way? I found plenty of better ways than God's way. And you know where it got me? Worse off. So Saul's like, yeah, I, you know, I, we thought what we should do is save all the good stuff, right? And we'll sacrifice it to God, right? Like, that sounds good, right, Samuel? And Samuel's like, I'll go kick you in the face right now. <laughs> like, seriously. Because that's what, and this is the context of this verse right here, where I want to get to you. Let's skip down to verse 22. Oh, I'll go to 20. Um, Samuel calls him out and says, 
Nah, that's not, that's not how this works. And then Samuel said to the Lord, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag and the king of Amalek and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people who took some of the spoils, sheep and oxen, <clears throat> and choices of things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And Samuel said, as the Lord has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Okay. Now, the way that we've used this verse is we've kind of put the obey as in like, oh, here are all the laws and all the stuff that you need to do. And it like, we, we make obey to be this very robotic thing. Obey, right? Obey is better than, than it is to sacrifice. But it's actually the sacrifice part that's the robotic part. This is like the laws and the lists and this and this and that, if you read it. Because what he's saying is, oh, you know all those laws, you know that you have to do this sacrifice and that sacrifice and this sacrifice? Saul was trying to be under that covering of sacrifice. It's like, oh, you know, no, no, I have all these choice things that I'm going to sacrifice to you. And God's like, that sacrifice doesn't mean anything to me. What means something to me is that I spoke to you. So this obey portion right here, this is actually the relational portion. And the sacrifice portion, well, that's just the stuff that you do. So what he's saying here, what the Lord is saying in the Old Testament is it's better for you to sit under me and be measured by me and for you to listen to my voice and to obey it because it's based on relationship than it is for you to have this robotic sacrifice thing that you do that, you know what, technically it probably could cover you. Because, yeah, you know what? I'm sacrificing the choicest lambs. And I'm doing the rightest things. And I'm making it look good in church. And I'm doing this and this. And all that stuff is just crap to him. In comparison to him speaking to you. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Like, like here, here's the deal. The sacrifice as it's represented here is just like a blanket thing to all people. Do this, ceremonially, do this. The obey portion is, man, I know everything that you've gone through. I know the things that are tormenting you. I know the things that are making you struggle. I know this, I know that. This is what you need to do. And I, I'm not telling you out of the, I'm not telling you, I'm telling you this for your freedom. I'm telling you this because I want, to, I want you to experience my, my joy and my love and my freedom more than you can ever think. So I'm going to tell you to do this thing. And you know what? This thing that you're going to do, it's going to be really freaking hard. And it's going to sound like, hey, go in there and destroy everything. Because if you even leave a trace of that thing, it's going to rear its ugly head again. And guess what? You're going to be back in bondage and torment. So when God is telling Saul, hey, I need you to go and kill every single one of those Amicalites. Not a trace of them is left. In the allegory sense, he's telling you, you see that thing that's tormenting you? Kill it. Like kill it to the killiest kill. Like kill it to it's dead dead. Like all the way dead. Like when David wasn't, wasn't settled enough with Goliath just laying down, which is in 18th chapter of Exodus, and he went and he said, okay, you know what? It's not good enough that he's dead. I'm going to chop his head off so he cannot grow back. This is what he's saying. He's saying, like, I, I don't want you to experience bondage anymore, so we're not going to allow the thing that, 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 that torments you to live. So going back, going back, what did Saul choose? He chose sacrifice. And within sacrifice, you know what he actually chose? He chose his tormentor because the Amicalites were his tormentor. He chose his tormentor. So what did God give Saul? His tormentor. He gave Saul the very thing that he chose 
because the Amalekites, like I told you before, were the tormentors of the people of Israel. Anytime they were, getting, they were like, okay, we're experiencing a little freedom. We're getting some momentum. Here come the Amalekites. Boom. Like, um, you know, in your life, you know, you're experiencing a little freedom. This bill, car breakdown, a little bit of health, a little bit this, right? A little sprinklings of, of torment. And God's like, oh, I just want to blot this thing out. I just want to blot it out. But you keep choosing your tormentor. Oh, well, first of all, the, you know, it, it does come down to people because the people are like, let's keep this stuff. And he's like, yeah, why don't we keep this stuff? We, you know what? You, you ever heard of Stockholm Syndrome? Stockholm Syndrome is like, um, it happened in Stockholm where like, um, uh, people were kidnapped and you spent so, so long like in the presence of your tormentor or your kidnapper where you start to like get some compassion for him. Like, it's not that bad a guy. These chains aren't that bad. Like, they kind of, he makes them a little loose. So I can still, like, I can still hang. You know? I got some blood flow. I got a meal. I got a meal, some water. Yeah, I love it. No, my tormentor's great. We, we, grow in, we grow so, in, like, comfortable with our torment that we wouldn't even be able to understand what freedom looks like. And God's like, Ugh. So, so God sent them the spirit that he chose. More times than not, the things that you, I mean, I, I, the Amicalites are this thing that comes out of nowhere, but many times we are sent the spirit that we choose. And, you know, and in that verse, like this evil spirit from God, because that's how they perceived it. But when it comes down to it, it's the one that Saul was like, yeah, let's keep this one alive. I like, you know what? I like the passion of that thing. I'm just going to keep them fire, those embers burning over here. And I'm going to pretend like I'm, I'm doing well with the Lord. But you know what? I could come back to this thing and stoke it up. And next thing you know, it's tormenting me again. Yeah. That I, you know what? I, I, well, when you say there's some kind of benefit, I actually don't know. Like, if it was me, I would have been like, well, the people, I, let me kill the king and leave the people because the people didn't do anything wrong. I don't know what the, um, what the benefit to uh, Saul keeping the king alive other than he was arrogant at that time. I don't know, you have a different... Or maybe not arrogant, maybe it's just stupid. Okay, are you with me still? Okay. So... Even in that, the Lord is so good, okay? Because during this time, God is setting up who, is Je who Jesus is going to come to do David, right? So he says, you know what, Saul? I'm going I'm to give you the spirit that you chose. You chose this tormenting spirit, right? By not doing, like, like not going on doing the thing. you. And we all know, you like, there are things in our life where we're like, I need to do this thing, but you're just kind of like, oh. I don't want to do this thing. Oh, I need to have that conversation. I need to have that conversation. I'm looking at some people, people are like, no, no, no. I need to have that conversation too. Like, we need to have this conversation, but you're like, oh, I don't want to. And the Lord's like, go kill it. Go kill it. And we sit there and wonder, well, why am I not experiencing freedom? And it's like, because you... Keep it in your back pocket. Keep it in your back pocket. I do it all the time. Keep it in my back pocket. So, this is how good the Lord is, though. The Lord is like, yes, yeah, Saul, you chose that tormenting spirit, but guess what? I'm going to send you a comforter, and that comforter is David. And not only am I going to comfort you, but I'm going to prepare David to be the king through this time that he's with Saul. Isn't that crazy? He's like, he's like, no, 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 you know what? I have a comforter for you. You're going to be tormented, but I'm going to send you someone who can make you feel like, okay, better. And, and now what he does is he comforts Saul and grows David in that time. Man, he has it covered. He has it covered. The Lord is so good. Okay, now I want to just spend like three minutes on Uzzah because that's another messed up story. 
But before I get to that, the allegory portion of Saul, like what you have to learn from Saul, is that when the Lord is speaking over you to do something, he's doing it out of every single like consideration of who you are, what you've experienced, what you've seen, what you've done, what's tormenting you. So he's not asking you to obey out of some robotic set of like whatever's. He's actually asking, he's asking you to obey from like, just like from the deepest concern of our father. Hey, this is what's going to give you freedom. Go do that thing. Go do that thing and do it till it's dead. Okay, Uzzah. Let's talk about Uzzah's a, whew. Uzzah's a messed up one. It's not that messed up, but it's messed up. It's kind of messed up. All right. First Chronicles. You can also find the story of Uzzah in Second um, Samuel, but I'm going to go First Chronicles. Okay. I think we're going to do this again next week. I've just been told I'm going to talk next week and we're going to cover some. So I want to go into practical application next week, if you don't mind. Okay. <laughs> I want to go into practical application. I'm just going to give you the story of Uzzah because I want to, I want to get the metaphorical part out. All right. So I'm going to do the, the story of Uzzah real quick. And then we're going to go to practical application. All right. Like next week. Okay. So the ark. Everybody knows the ark? The ark of the covenant, the thing that Indiana Jones found? Remember You remember that? That's not in the Bible, though. He didn't find it. That's uh, in Indiana chapter 3. I don't know. All right. Okay. So they carried the ark on the new cart from the house of Abinadad, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. David and all of Israel celebrated before God with all their might, even with songs and with lyres and harps and tambourines. We having a party, like we all happy. And they, and when they came to the threshing floor of Shaddon, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark because the oxen nearly upset it. So basically the oxen stumbles, right? And the ark starts to get woozy. Uzzah throws his hand out in order to make it steady. And then... The anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, so he struck him down because he put his hand on the ark. Jeez, at this point, like, if that was like a dad, a dad situation, you'd be like, is dad okay? He kind of overreacted there. Like, jeez, like, is he all right? Okay. I'm going to bring allegory, uh, allegory, okay? So that you know that the ark was never supposed to be on a cart in the first place. The ark was never supposed to be on a cart. The ark was always meant, as a symbol of the presence of the God, the ark was meant to be carried on the shoulders of men and not put on a cart. Okay? It wasn't meant to be put on a cart. So, allegory. How many times are we putting the things of the Lord on a cart in a place that it shouldn't be, and then when he tries to knock it down, we try to prop it up? You didn't even hear me on that one. How many times do we idolize something and when God himself is like, yeah, it's time for that thing to be knocked down because that thing, it's not where it's supposed to be and I have, oh, I need this thing in my life. And what you experience because of it is death. You experience death because you're putting things up on pedestals where they're not supposed to be put on pedestals and when God's like, Time to knock that thing down. You're like, we're going to fight for this one. And you're like, you're aligning yourself up with your tormentor again. Could you imagine, like, imagine this. God is like, my command to you is actually more important than this, than the Ark of the Covenant. Let it fall. Everything. Okay, stand up. Can I bless you now? I'm bless you now because I know I'm 10 minutes over. And this is how I'm going to bless you. Everything in your life that God is trying to knock down, let it fall. 
Stop trying to steady it because it will bring you death. That, like the story of Uzzah is an allegory for us. It's a symbol, a representation of all the things that we put up there. It's like, oh, this is the most important thing. And God's like, okay, it's time. It's time for it to come down. And do not fight the fall. Step out of the way and be like, God, you're holy and move on. Because his, his presence, like that car, that thing wasn't supposed to be up on a car anyway. It wasn't supposed to be, it's supposed to be on your shoulders. It was supposed to be here, not put up here. It's supposed to be resting here. So I bless you for the presence of the Lord to rest on your shoulders. And not to be propped up in some kind of way where you make it an idol. And I pray that you have the discernment that when God wants to knock down idols in our lives, that you not fight it. That I not fight it. That I not hold my hand out to try to steady the thing that's bringing me torment. Father, I pray the strength in these people to go kill the thing that's stopping their freedom. Kill it good. And I know this sounds like a harsh Old Testament message, but this is a dad message just like to, to, to kids saying, no, 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 no. Go conquer that thing because you're, you are strong and you're worthy to live a life of freedom. So I bless this house with a, house, with, with a, with a spirit of freedom. May no thing stop your freedom. May no thing stop your freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so next week, I'm going to pick this up. And we're going to talk about some practical stuff. And we're going to probably, we're going to probably just be, we're going to be here, okay? We're going to be here because, you know, how do you hear the voice of the Lord? How do you hear the voice of the Lord? I don't know, right? Go, go eat, go enjoy, go take a nap, stay out of the sun. It's supposed to be cooler today? No? Like 10 degrees cooler? I love y'all. World Harvest Outreach is located in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, but we have family around the world. To connect with us, visit us at whocenterpa.com.